0: Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a production from Melbourne's leading independent bookstore, Readings. In today's episode, the Dominatrix next door. When a cash-strapped single mother of two in suburban Melbourne has a fun idea to start a side hustle running workshops for hens parties, she has no idea it will lead her on a surreal adventure, or twenty, through the underground world of kink clubs and swingers parties nor does she know that it will bring her out in the other end as one of Australia's most recognised dominatrixes. In The Dominatrix Next Door, Mistress Jane has penned a memoir that is both a salacious tell-all and a love letter to Melbourne's BDSM community. Complete with celebrity encounters, exciting opportunities, and lessons in kink, love, and parenthood, she shows us how having multiple identities is not only possible, but incredible and that some mums really are superheroes. They might just use their ribbon masks in a different way than you'd expect. To interview Mistress Jane, here's Reading's Programming Manager, Christine Gordon.
1: Hello, everybody. My name is Christine Gordon. I help look after some of the programs that happen at Reading's. But this morning, I'm taking some time out of my busy, busy days to talk to quite an extraordinary woman. She goes by the title Mistress Jane, And I think that we're going to have quite a lot of fun talking to her about this book that has come out with Melbourne Books just now, and it did grab my eye because it's got quite a fetching cover. When you see it in our shops, you won't be able to miss it. You will know exactly what I'm talking about from the moment you see the cover. Mistress Jane, welcome to the Readings Podcast. Hello, Christine. Thank you for having me. What a joy to have you, because what I loved about reading your book even though you've lived this sort of extraordinary life, this life that not everybody has, where you're meeting and greeting in a variety of different methods and manners, you still, at the very base of it, is just a mum, just a standing there in front of me, just trying to do the best that you can and cope with the struggle juggle of parenthood. So you tell the story. Tell us how this all started. Tell me Tell me everything that you can in about five minutes.
2: Your introduction is perfect and that's really why the book came about because I did straddle two different worlds, the world with my friends that I grew up with, the other mums, and then this second life as a performer slash dominatrix. And I would tell these stories to my mum's groups. And I would tell these stories to my girlfriend. So many times they would go, You have to write a book. Now, if I was living 100% in that. Dominatrix world. I would not have an appreciation for how out there these stories are, but because I was regularly touching base with my what we call vanilla world, told that these stories are extraordinary. So that's how the book came about. I had a collection of stories that I had a an appreciation that for most people they would be titillating or entertaining. But yeah, the the story is that I was that single mum. I was working full time trying to juggle the whole lot i needed a side hustle i thought if i could work for myself i might be able to juggle better so i had a look at what i was good at i have a history in entertaining and running children's camps actually so i thought children's entertainer that's what i that's my ideal job had a look at the market absolutely saturated saturated right. so looked a little bit further and hens parties popped up and I thought okay well what does a hens party need again that market was flooded with burlesque classes pole dancing classes life drawing I thought okay what if we did a dominatrix class because you know what that Fifty Shades of Grey book that had just come out and the the movie was in the making everybody
1: was was reading that book weren't they and you would see people on public transport
2: Absolutely. It was a phenomenon for lots of reasons. It wasn't necessarily a great story for women anyway, I didn't think. I thought we could flip the script and go, there's another side to this. What if the woman was the empowered one? So to do that and to do this business idea that I had in mind, I had to go get trained and that's where it all began.
1: Where do you go for that?
2: Good question. Good question. I had to use my networks. I found mentors. I found friends who had dabbled in that world. Yeah. It is a very underground world in Melbourne. You wouldn't even know it existed if you weren't a part of it. But it is huge. Entered the Melbourne kink scene, and one thing led to another, and before you know it, I'm Mistress Jane, and. I am working at a corporate events, performing on stage. I was in the Melbourne Fringe. I am running a podcast. I am writing for dating sites. It was just a huge adventure that it never intended it to be, but the Melbourne kink community embraced me, and here we are at the other end of it now, Mistress Jane writing a book about everything I got to do, yet still, still being that single mum trying to juggle being uh, an upstanding citizen of the the vanilla world as well.
1: So these are the things that struck me, just even reading your book and just hearing you speak now. And I guess the most important one for me as a feminist is this terrific sex-positive feminist kind of stream throughout the entire book. Like you are a woman in charge And that is something that's quite celebrated in your spicy world as opposed, I think, in your vanilla world. Can you explain to me why we as a society in the vanilla world are so terrible at accepting women, sex positive, feminist, strong women? That is such a
2: big question. It did become my crusade because I did notice myself that the world was filled with imagery of submissive women. So I I did sort of make it my mission to populate the world with imagery of more powerful women, empowered women, dominant women. And in the kink community, yes, dominant women are celebrated because we're still rare, but most people, men and women, prefer being in the submissive role. They like handing over control to somebody else and having someone else
1: (laughs) Having a break from their own life where you've got so many responsibilities, yeah. That's absolutely the the story, no matter what
2: your gender is. So there was a shortage of female minutes in the world, so I thought, well, I'm going to show the world. I want to show the world what it's about. So my my hen's parties were always, I, it was sort of three E's, it was entertainment education and empowerment and empowerment through education but if you do it with the entertainment thrown in you know it's more accessible and it's easier to swallow and it was a job that I still can't believe I got paid to do honestly.
1: Do you reckon it changed women's lives? Gosh that's a big claim. I know I I think you can't make that claim but me is like because you are in fact a feminist and understand that we're a community rising up but I mean surely By changing some attitude, giving people license to say, hey, this is what I want. Hey, this is what I believe.
2: Absolutely. I like to think I gave women permission to talk about what they wanted to do. Countless occasions, there would be just a girlfriend of mine who would message me and say, I would like to try this at home. How do I get started? And I was more than happy always to give girlfriends tips on how to harness their inner dominatrix or harness that dominant side or take control because a lot of the time the story is with girlfriends, oh, things are getting a little bit lacklustre at home, a little bit boring. And the way the female can spice it up is that they do have to take control. You do have to start organising things and planning things and that is the dominance role. So yeah, it it works. If you want to spice things up at home, you need to kind of take control of what you want to do.
1: So the other thing that when you were talking about this book and when I was reading the book is that I want to say that I felt like this whole fetish community that you found yourself part of was incredibly kind. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. and that's not something that I would have automatically, I don't know why, I guess my own biases wouldn't have automatically thought. Common misconception
2: that we're all very scary but, no, they are very welcoming. If you consider um, a lot of the kink community come from walks of life where they have been shamed, stigmatised or, you know, there's a lot of guilt. A lot of them come to the kink community because it's where they feel accepted and not judged. So because they've been judged themselves, it's a very non-judgmental community. So I'm often saying, no, come and try that. Come to an event. You'll see that it's. we are all very friendly, We very welcoming of newcomers. Because, yeah, we've probably all been
1: through with ourselves. Yeah. So while you were doing the sort of the struggle juggle and just starting out with your hen's night and then these sort of larger fetish events, and you were struggling with these kids as well, I mean, how, was that when they were with their dad that you would be doing these or you were getting a babysitter or were you lying? Were you saying, <laughs> hey, I'm actually just going to the, uh, you know, the school fake commission party or something or other?
2: It was a little bit of everything. So, yes, I had uh, joint custody with the children's father. So they were gone every Thursday and Friday night, which was when I ran my business. And then I had grandparents on hand, grandparents who insisted on being able to babysit once a fortnight or so. So the kids would often see me get dressed up for a event and I would get dressed up at my mum's house. Kids would be having a sleepover with mum and they would say, oh, mum, you're so dressed up. Where are you going? And I would say, it's Halloween party. It's a fancy dress party. I'm going as a witch. I'm going <laughs> as a vampire. I'm going as a... <laughs> and they'd say, oh, I love your gumboots, mummy. And I'd say, oh, yeah, they're really cool, aren't they? Yeah, um, they're a little bit big for you right now, but maybe one day when you're older, you'll be able to wear them too. Oh, there was once when one of my children said, that's a little bit revealing, mummy, and nice. <laughs> And I've always covered up. And I just go, really? Really? I don't know where that, that kind of attitude certainly didn't come from me. So I'd go, no, it's not. <laughs> so they had an age-appropriate explanation of what I was doing. They knew that I worked at hen's parties. Yeah, That's all they needed to know. They knew I went to dress-up parties. And then as they got a little bit older, they learned a little bit more about the queer community that I was a part of. And now my eldest is 15 and my son is 12 and my 12-year-old still does not want, just doesn't want to know, has zero interest and that's great. But my 12-year-old's read the book and I think she's actually kind of proud. You know, I've raised two little feminists of my own, as you would expect, being my children. So they're completely on board with what my mission's been.
1: Here you are, actually, Walking the talk, talking the walk. That is literally what you're doing. And is this something that you imagine you're going to continue to be doing and taking into the future? Like there's no, that's the other thing about the kink community, there's no end date, is it? It's not like an age appropriation or anything like that. No. no. We certainly have sort of matriarchs of the
2: scene. We have ex-masters that have been around and, and are well into their 60s, 70s and uh, still teaching and you you know educating personally i've i've moved on a little bit this book is a little bit of my swan song in a sense mm-hmm. but my life's work continues in other areas so i now teach consent at university to, to med students we teach med students how to get informed consent and how to create a safe space for patients who are going to undergo a sensitive examination and that's absolutely where the skills are transferred to now. So that's now my passion. It's sort of you know same same but different. And then of course my passion is my my two teenagers who are with me full time now. And sort of like you said, lead by example or, or set a good example on on what it is to be a little bit of an activist, a little bit brave, a little bit of a feminist. Actually, everything
1: we need to survive in this
2: rotten world. I <laughs> Things have evolved and and the book is sort of the bit of the legacy I wanted to leave behind now that I've moved on.
1: Mm, congratulations. It's actually quite a riveting read. There is some sort of kiss and tell sort of moments in there and some guesswork that's needed by the reader. But I'm not, I don't want to get too involved in that, in this discussion, because I want people to go out and uh, explore that for themselves. I'm more interested in how this the story of you just being a parent and juggling work, is very universal for so many women. They're still, for some unbeknown reason, in a society that thinks that they're well-formed and progressive, that this in any way could be construed as something that was shameful. Your book allows us to understand that it's absolutely not. It's just once you're in there, it's a joyful experience. I hope so. I wanted to shine a positive
2: light on the fun side, of kink and it really is one of those last taboos I feel like we've come a long way as far as being accepting of the of our queer communities our trans communities there's so many things that are evolving slowly but and within my kink community we are obviously very non-judgmental and open-minded but Then you step out into the broader community in the mainstream and you see there really is still so much judgment around some of this stuff. So, yeah, I've described some scenes in the book that are the fun side because I really do believe that we're all a little bit kinky, really. We just, certain people take it to another level, that's all.
1: Perhaps as our final sort of story in this particular conversation, you could share one of the stories of a transformation that you've seen of someone.
2: Oh, yeah. I'll talk about a friend I have of mine over in WA working in the mines and being very isolated. Very lonely there. Can you imagine?
1: Oh, terrible
2: work. Yeah, so, so isolating. And recently had a, a marriage breakdown as a single dad and really, really feeling quite lonely and disconnected mm. to the world. But then I invite him to join our online community. So for example, there's Melbourne Rubber, which I was secretary of as the first female to join Melbourne Rubber. They used to be Melbourne Rubber men. And we have an online community that just lifted each other up and supported each other through lockdowns, through online Zoom meetings where we all wear our latex and have a drink and a chat. And just through us all being characters and sharing photos online of the beautiful things we like to wear and sharing jokes online and saw my friend in WA find a reason to
1: smile again, Mm. find connection again. This is one of the things that I was struck by in that you've reached a certain age and people don't expect you to have fun anymore, but here in your community that's one of the key components.
2: Oh, it is sort of accessing, accessing that in a child, a lot of it. So even though it's a kink community, it's not a pickup joint. No. It really is just people with similar interests supporting each other, just like any other support group, with just such a lack of judgement. Beautiful to see him, I guess, flower, <laughs> start posting his own things, And just send me such sincere thanks for pulling through some dark moments. Yeah, he's out there all alone and and what what else can you do?
1: Yeah, out there in the Pilbara, like horrible. When you wrote this book, I understand that it's just one song and that you're using it to demystify some of the people that live right next door to you or down the street or in the supermarket or wherever, they're everywhere. What was the aim? Was it that education or was it something that you just needed to get off your chest? What made you go there? It was a couple of things. It was shining that positive light on that I call it my love
2: letter to the kink community, mm-hmm. but also it was a little bit therapeutic because part of that story, as you know from reading it, is that I did encounter a lot of judgment and paid a fairly high price for being Mistress Jane myself. Writing that story was a little bit cathartic, a little bit therapeutic, and I guess exposing both sides of me to both sides of my life. So I've got my my everyday life, my kink community, my kink community gets to discover I'm not this magical dominatrix. 24-7 I'm just like everybody else and then my vanilla world gets to go wow even a single mom living out in the burbs can still lead a magical life as well identity for me is a big thing and having multiple identities so for me it was do not invest 100% of yourself into one identity because what happens when something happens to that if you've got multiple and you diversify with your identity the rewards are tenfold in a way so I really am a big advocate for having multiple identities and having multiple facets going on as a human being.
1: I found your story so inspirational Mistress Jane and I found it a really kind and generous read, and I thank you for sharing that bravery. That's courage, I think, to get out there and do an expose on who you are and and why you are. More importantly, that's the expose part. A fascinating read. Did your community, the vanilla and the spice, have they reacted with the joy that they should?
2: Yeah, they've been wonderful. So the kink community really got behind me with pre-orders and when I did launch I went to Australia's Fetish Expo, which is on once a year, mm-hmm. and had so many people come up and give me a hug. So that, that's that been wonderful. And then, of course, my, my gorgeous vanilla friends are just as usual sort of shaking their heads and smiling. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're so used to me. Of course you've written a book. <laughs> of course you did is sort of the reaction. And they've been a wonderful, yeah, they've been wonderful in getting behind me too. So I had another party just for family and friends. And it's been a really cool couple of weeks since we launched celebrating and getting everybody's appreciation. It's, yeah, I, I haven't stopped smiling. It's been a, it's been an awesome start.
1: Congratulations. You deserve it. I do encourage everyone to read Mistress Jane's book, Read it because of the joy. Read it because of the kindness. But also read it because this is a woman that's not been frightened, and so many of us are, and that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. It's time to get out there and explore and be whoever you want to be. A complete joy to speak to you this morning.
0: The tricks Next Door is available via all reading stores and from our website where you'll find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to eNews, or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. This interview was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. On behalf of Readings, I'd like to acknowledge traditional owners of this land, and pay earnest respects to elders past, present, and those to come. Thank you for listening.